Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. So I'm watching uh, Britain's Got Talent on YouTube. Um, You know how YouTube sort of, after you watch a little short video, they'll pop up another one and so Britain's Got Talent, for those of you that aren't aware of it, it's like America's Got Talent. It's kind of like an abbreviated version of uh, American Idol. And this lady walks out on stage. She said, her name is Lauren. And she says, uh, most of you have probably heard my voice, but you've never seen my face. Um, I sang the song Never Enough on the movie The Greatest Showman. And there was kind of a gasp in the audience. Apparently, the actress in the movie doesn't actually sing that song. This lady named Lauren does. So you hear her voice while the other one's lip syncing it. And I don't know if it was a bit or not, but uh, Simon Cowles and the the judging panel all act super surprised. And they're like, really? Ooh. And I'm kind of having a hard time believing they don't already know this. But they're like, oh my, I've never, wow. And, And so then she sings the song. And it's one of those moments. I mean, it, it's a powerful song. I mean, I'd sing it for you, but, you know, I don't want to show off. But it's a, it's a song, man, never enough. I, I don't know that I'd ever heard it. And it just kind of brought the whole house down. The people are standing and applauding. The judges, you know, they hit the golden button thing and golden confetti comes out. And it's just a moment. And it's a great video. And so you guys can look it up later. Not right now. Don't look it up right now. And uh, I go, Amy, Amy, you got to see this. And Amy's doing something else, and I'm bothering her. And she's like, yeah, what? And I was, you got to see this. It's like an eight-minute video. So I show it to her. She's like, oh, that's yeah, that's really good. We need to watch that movie again. And I said, again? She said, yeah, we watched it together. I said, we did? <laughs> you know, the great thing about being my age is I can watch a movie over and over and be surprised at the ending every time. It's really kind of cool. I can read a book I've already read and never know what's going to happen. <laughs> In my defense, when I watched the movie the first time, it's a musical, okay? I'm not real big on musicals, and I was really having a hard time, you know, buying into the idea that, that uh, the Wolverine is singing and dancing, you know? He's a, he's a slasher guy, and he's up there doing a song and dance, and I'm kind of struggling with that. So I don't know. At some point, I must have tuned it out. I think I might have started playing chess on the phone or something. I don't know. Um, But anyway, I didn't watch it. So I watched it again. And this time it was really good. I mean, when I really watched it. And I love the themes of it, of racial reconciliation, of, of, uh, of, uh, uh, you know, looking out for the the outcast and the outlier. And and there's a really strong theme of a solid marriage and a marriage that kind of stays together. So I'm, I'm, I'm really into all of that. And the music was awesome. But now I've got this song stuck in my head, Never Enough, you know. And I, I'm, I, I buy it from iTunes. I listen to it like a thousand times because it's a really good song. And, and uh, so I'm burning myself out on this song and it's stuck in my head. But the lyrics go like this. Take my hand. Will you share this with me? Because darling, without you, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Never be enough for me. Never, 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 never for me. And all of a sudden I realized 
That could be the mantra of the modern age. Never enough. Never, never, never for me. Never enough. Now I get it. The song is basically a love song. And it's saying, a woman is saying to her, to her uh, lover, without you, nothing's ever going to be enough. I, all the applause I ever get, all the lights that are on me, all the stacks of gold I might acquire, nothing's ever going to be enough. But I mean, let's be real, okay? That's a romance idea that some other person is going to somehow be so significant in my life that I'll never long for anything else. Without you, nothing will ever be enough, implying that with you, everything will be fine. When the truth is, we're all born with this Christ-shaped void in our heart. And if Jesus doesn't fill that void, I don't care who fills it, he'll never be enough. She'll never be enough. The fact of the matter is, 10 years down the road, she's going to look at you and go, you're just not enough. (laughs) Or he's going to look at her and say, you're not enough. Because nobody can fill that void. And we live in an age where everybody is saying, man, nothing is ever enough. And And I remembered what I already knew. Without Jesus, nothing is ever enough. In fact, without Jesus, everything is never enough. And then, you know, when you got a song stuck in your head, you sort of twist it around and turn it. And then I started thinking about myself and I thought, you know, a lot of times I feel like I'm never enough. Do you ever feel that way? Like, I'm just not enough. You, you get into a situation you're unsure of, you wonder, do I have what it takes? I mean, I'm supposed to have all the answers and, and in all honesty, I don't have all the answers. I'm supposed to know what to do, but I don't know what to do. And there are a lot of times in my life where I feel like I'm just not enough. And I happen to believe that I'm normal. I think if you look up the word normal in the dictionary, my picture's there, because I'm normal. And if I'm struggling with that, you must struggle with it too, and especially you guys, because you're about to launch, right? And you're about to head into university situations, and you're going to be expected to know how to manage life and classroom and grades and all that, and you don't even really know how to do your laundry right now. I mean, let's be honest. You don't know how to cook. You have no idea where food comes from, and except, you know, you go to a store and buy some. And so it's like, am I really equipped for this? Am I going to be enough for this? I mean, you're going straight into the workforce, and you're not, you're not sure about all of that. And, and I, I thought, you know what? Let's talk about that this morning. Let's talk about what it takes to be enough. And let's go to, to Timothy and Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 1. So let's get our Bibles out, turn your devices on. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me set the scene. Timothy is pastoring uh, the church in Ephesus. And it's a great church. It's got a great history. Paul pastored there. The apostle John pastored there. Timothy's pastoring there. But it's a really tough situation because... Ephesus, the city, was built around idolatry and temple worship. There's a temple there called the Temple of Artemis. If you're Greek, it was the Temple of Artemis. If you're Roman, it was the Temple of Diana. Same goddess, just different names. And that temple happened to have made it on the list of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it was not only a a temple worship, it was a tourist destination. So they've somehow combined Las Vegas and Disney with... Mecca, you know, and so everybody's got to go to, and, and so what happens is it's not just about religion, it's also about economics. And so if you threaten the temple, you've threatened the town's economy. When Paul was there, uh, there was actually a riot because they felt like Paul was leading converts away from Artemis. And, and as a result, the, the temple was under threat. So the people who made their living off of the temple got upset about it. 
And so Paul writes to him. Now, Paul's in prison. He's actually in a prison called the Mamertine prison. It's under the streets of Rome, and there are two chambers. The upper chamber is those awaiting trial. The bottom chamber is those awaiting death. So Paul is in the bottom chamber. He's on death row. This is the last letter he's going to write. And so he writes it to Timothy because Timothy's struggling. And, And Timothy is, if I had to define his struggle, it's this. Am I really enough? Do I really have what it takes? And and so the counsel for Paul is Holy Spirit-inspired counsel for us. And here's what he says. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul's like, Timothy, I'm praying for you every day. So he's pouring into him, longing to see you. Even as I recall your tears, Timothy was a tender guy, and so he's struggling so that I may be filled with joy. You feel the intimacy of that? Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, I'm stepping on something. Somebody lost their earbud in the the praise team. Um, Verse 5, I'm wondering what they're going to do next week. They've got no earbuds. If you're looking, you praise team guys, Blake, if you're looking for your earbud, it's in this little cup holder. <clears throat> he says, I remember your genuine faith. I love that. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. And I read that line and I think, why did Paul bring up Timothy's mother and grandmother. What do you figure? And here's what I think he did. I think the first thing he was saying to him is, remember who loves you. I think he wanted to stir that up. When Timothy hears those words, and we need to hear those words, we need to remember who loves us. Because when when you get into that pit and you begin to be filled with self-doubt and anxiety and despair and depression and wondering, can I really do this? Am I really enough? It's easy to forget that you're loved, and it's easy to forget the people that love you. And one of the problems you're going to have, you guys going off to college, is you're going to believe that some people love you who really don't. And so there comes a time where you got to think back, who loves me? Remember your mother and your grandmother. And the moment he heard that, you know, his, his heart must have gone to that. Remember who loves you. Look, Jesus loves you. Let's settle that, Okay. The Bible says, for even while we were still sinful, Christ died for us. He doesn't love you because of your performance. He doesn't love you because of how holy you are. He loves you unconditionally. Even while you're still sinful, Christ died for you. And the Bible, and Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for a brother. Let's settle that definitively. You are loved by Jesus. If you feel like nobody else in the world loves you, don't ever forget Jesus does. But we need to realize, too, that people love us and that people have invested in us. And when we sink into this fog, it's hard to remember that. His mom and his grandmother, and Timothy's mind would have immediately gone back to those times where he's sitting at their knee and they're pouring into him and he knows they're praying for him and he knows they care about him. And Paul says, I love you, Timothy. Back up to verse 2. Look at what he says. Timothy, my look at what kind of son? My beloved son. You know, I think it's interesting Not only who Paul mentions, but who he doesn't mention. 
He says, I'm reminded of the sincere faith which was in your grandmother and your mother, but who does he not mention? His father. I don't know, I don't know anything about Timothy's father, but you know what happened? Paul became his father. He calls him his beloved son. And, and Paul had filled that spot for Timothy and saying to Timothy, look, man, Jesus loves you. Your mom, your grandma love you. I love you. And sometimes we need to hear that. We need to remember. And let me say this. That's what's liberating. To be loved is an empowering thing. If I'm loved, I'm valuable. And that means I'm worth it. And maybe I'm enough. You're going to get to a spot in your life. I mean, it's all, it's all exciting right now, but you, there, there's going to be a moment where you're sitting in a dorm room and you've got three or four drunk friends hung over from the night before and you've got a big test coming and you've got a girlfriend that just broke up with you and you're going to wonder, do I have what it takes? Who loves me? You need to remember. And you may not have uh, this family that, that pours into you and loves you, but this is a family. And you're a part of the family of God, and you are deeply loved and highly valued. Second thing you got to remember is who you love. Paul said, I'm reminded of your genuine faith, your sincere faith. That word sincere is the Latin version. It means without wax. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. But the Greek version that he actually used there was you're unhypocritical. And that comes out of the Greek play because the hypocrite was the actor in the play who would wear the mask and he would pretend to be what he's not. Paul says, your faith is not like that. It's unhypocritical. It's authentic. It's sincere. I don't want to keep harping on this, but in the opening song of that, of that movie, uh, The Great Greatest Showman, the line went like this. Don't fight it. It's coming for you, running at you. It's only this moment. Don't care what comes after your fever dream, can't you see it getting closer? Just surrender because the feeling's taking over. It's fire, it's freedom, it's flooding open. And then he says this, it's a preacher in the pulpit and your blind devotion. And when I first heard that, I thought, well, they've got to take a shot at the church again. You know, that's just Hollywood. But then I thought, I don't like that at all. People aren't blindly devoted to a preacher But then I started thinking about that. Maybe they have a point. Maybe that's that's part of the problem. You know know what statisticians tell us? They say 70% of the kids that grow up in youth groups walk away during college and never return to faith. 70%, two out of every three. Why would they do that? What's going on? Well, maybe they fall away because their faith was more like blind devotion than genuine belief. Maybe that's what's going on. You know, when I first came into the church, first became a Christian, I was stunned at who was there. Really, sincerely. I mean, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't spend five minutes in church from the time I was in junior high to the the end of my senior year. I mean, I just didn't attend church and started dating this Christian girl. She said, you got to come to church with me. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And so I go to church and I look around and I'm like, I'd spent my whole life in the party scene and doing that whole party thing. And I look around and all my party friends are sitting in church for real. And it was like confusing because here was my thing. I was either there or I was here, but I wasn't both. But these kids were both. And I had spent seven years, eight years, six years, four years, three years, two years. I'd I'd spent a lot of time with these kids. And during that time, there had never been the first 
whiff of Christianity coming out of their mouths. I never heard it, never saw it in any way. It was completely oblivious to me. But here they are in church singing these songs. And I'm like, what in the world's going on? And at first I didn't understand. I'm trying not to be judgmental. And then I realized they were just doing what was expected. That's, that's why they were there. Mom and dad expected them to be in church. And so that's what they did. And when they were at school, their friends expected them to party. And so that's what they did. They're, they lived for the expectations of others. And so their faith became kind of like a borrowed faith. It became like blind devotion. They loved their parents and they even loved the church. They just didn't really love Jesus. Not really. I mean, not in its core. Look, faith was never meant to be blind devotion. You get that? In fact, God hates that. Listen to Isaiah 29, 13. And so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Remember who you love. This isn't about your parents' expectations. If you don't love Jesus, then you've missed the whole point. Faith has to be real, authentic, sincere. Because here's the thing. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. You're enough. If you don't have Jesus, no matter what you have, it will never be enough. Never enough. And you will spend the rest of your life chasing it. You'll spend the rest of your life chasing it. Third thing, stay engaged. Verse 6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Notice he says, this is why I remind you. This is why uh, the New American Standard says, for this reason. For this reason, I say to you, kindle afresh the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. So you could include, you could just say, because of this, because of what? Because you have sincere faith, this is what I want to say to you. Kindle afresh, fan into flames the gift of God. So the question is, what is the gift of God, right? And from understanding what he's talking about, he's talking about Timothy's calling. This calling that's on your life, that we laid hands on you. You're calling. And, and Timothy, even though he knew Christ, he had sincere faith. He, his fire and his passion for his calling had begun to go out because, I mean, he's in constant conflict. People are saying ugly things about him. They're saying terrible things about his mother. They're saying terrible things about Jesus and everybody involved in his life. And it just gets old after a while. And so because of his faith, here's the counsel. Now, had Timothy not had authentic faith, the counsel would have been very different. The counsel would have been, if you don't know Jesus, and if you don't have real authentic faith, then that's the point you need to deal with. The rest of this we'll talk about later. What you would have to do is let's talk about giving your life fully over to the Lordship of Christ so that the Spirit and the power of God dwells in you and you find forgiveness and release and healing and freedom in Christ. If you don't know Christ, then that's where you are. That's a different counsel. But he says, because your faith is sincere, here's the counsel. Fan into flames the spiritual gift that's in you through the laying on of hands. Rediscover your calling. Passion had gone out. Hey, let me say this. We're all called. You may not be called to pastoral ministry. We're all called. Say uh, Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are His workmanship. You know, we always like to, to, to quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you're saved through faith. 
It's the gift of God, not the result of works that no man should boast. But what about verse 10? For we are his workmanship. That, that means master craftsmanship. We're his master craftsmanship, created, designed for his purpose, for good works in Christ. You are called. We're all called. And, and let me just say this. Your occupation is not your purpose. Your occupation is a platform to fulfill your purpose. You, you, you work to make a living, but your work doesn't make a life. God has a different purpose for your life. Your work becomes the vehicle by which God opens the doors to accomplish His purpose. But look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. As you go off to school, as you go into the workplace, you need to remember that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to make much of Jesus to make Christ known, to glorify God in whatever circumstances and through whatever relationships He gives you. And what happens is kids leave churches like this. You know, I was thinking about this and it makes me feel old. Elise is right over there. She was in my youth group when I was a youth minister 30-something years ago. You guys weren't even born when I came to this church. I was here pastoring two or three years before you were even a twinkle in daddy's eye. I may be the only pastor you've ever known. You're going to leave this place and you're going to go, he's just not Brother Bill. He's just not Brother Bill. Yeah, he's probably better than Brother Bill, so listen to him. He's probably got more to say. And everybody leaves and they go, oh, I can't find North Monroe. I can't. Well, stop looking for North Monroe. God's got a purpose for you. It's not about you. It's about what he wants to do through you. you you've got to find a place to serve. Kids will go off to college. They stop attending. They get away from the fire. The, the, the fire goes out. The passion's gone. The purpose is lost. And then they wake up one day and go, I don't know if I even believe anymore. It's because you, you, you didn't stay engaged. And that's not just true of kids going off to college. That's for all of us. And then walk in His power. That's the fourth thing. Kindle afresh the gift of God. That, that word for gift is charisma. It's a spiritual gift that God gives us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But that Paul reminds us of the nature of the Spirit in verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of, of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That's the power that's in you. And notice that, that what the power does. God's power is love and self-discipline. The power of God shows up in discipline. Normally when you talk about the power of God, we always want to talk about signs and wonders, you know? And you hear things like, man, if God wants to bring you net-breaking, boat-sinking miracles, you know? You're going to look better, dress better, have better cars, have a better-looking wife, and, you know, get you a smoking hot mama that's a 10, a consecrated Boderic, and, you know, off we go. I've heard all of those lines from preachers because that's what the power of God looks like. It's not what the power of God looks like here. He says it's of love and discipline. It's discipline. Paul said, we're bringing into captivity every thought under the obedience of Christ. That's what the power of God looks like. Don't become so infatuated with the power of signs that you miss the power of discipline. 
Verse 8, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either. You want to know where power is? Power is where you summon up the spiritual fortitude to be able to bring Christ into your conversations, whether you're on a campus setting, whether you're in a workplace, or wherever you are. That's where real power is. Because that's one of the scariest things you'll ever do. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though in my, I'm in prison for him. With, now look at this. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the gospel. I read those words and I realize Paul's on death row. At the end of this book, he's going to say, I finished the, the race. I fought the good fight. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He says, I've been poured out like a drink offering. In other words, it's over for me. And, he, and he's telling Timothy, Timothy, I need you, man. I need you. You need me. I need you. Get here as quick as you can. Make every effort to come here. Get here before winter, before the snows set in, before it gets too cold. I need you before winter. I may not be here after winter. Bring me the parchments. Bring me the books. Bring me my cloak. Um, But mostly, Timothy, bring me you. And I'm reading these lines from a guy on death row who's talking about this victorious attitude that, that is just in him and through him and the discipline and power of the Spirit and all of these words that are emerging. And I realize he's freer than most people who walk free every day. Where's that come from? Here's what I realized. The Spirit's going to take you to a place you cannot take yourself. He will take you where you cannot take yourself. Last Wednesday, we did a thing called Lift, and it's where the band comes and plays some music, and we sing uh, and worship, and and then we get a testimony. And Deborah Gamble was our testimony. Deborah, I I don't want to steal your thunder, but they got to hear this. It's a powerful story. She she talked about uh, she had a 14-year-old nephew 14 years ago. I think he was 14. Uh, he's hunting with his granddad, her dad. And through just a tragic hunting accident, the granddad accidentally shot the grandson and killed him. And Deborah talked about how their families were so close that they kind of co-parented, you know, they, they kind of shared kids. So that was like losing her own son. But God kind of picked them up and walked them through it. You know, the discipline and power of the Spirit. And then in 2016, remember that year, the floods? Her house was completely flooded. She lost everything. And uh, again, the Spirit kind of picks her up and lifts her up. And she says, you know, it's just stuff. The pictures on the wall were above the flood line. I got my pictures. I don't care about the rest of it. And it was just a beautiful testament to the power of the Spirit. Then three years ago, her her husband, Paul, high school sweethearts, they married at 19. The only guy in her life was working on a light at the post office and he made contact with a high voltage wire, was electrocuted and killed immediately. And she talks about that phone call and about the feelings that were running through her as she's racing, trying to find out what happened. And I'm just, I'm crying I think everybody else is too. And she said nine days before that, uh, her son was struggling with something unrelated. And uh, she said that my favorite verse is that, that James 1, 2 verse, you know, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So she gave that to her son. She said, now fast forward nine days later, and I'm processing the loss of Paul. And she said, God brings that verse to my mind. And she said, you, you know, for me, I just said, no, no, Lord, that's not my verse. That was my son's verse. I don't want that verse. But God said, this is your verse. And she's walked in that. That's supernatural power to lift you and take you where you can't go yourself. Guys, you need that. You try to do this in your own strength. You try to do this in isolation apart from from who you've always been historically. Your fire's going to go out. And And it won't be enough. It'll never be enough. You have to have the Spirit. And here's the good thing. If you have this... If you have Jesus, you have the Spirit, and if you have the Spirit, you have power. Last thing, abide in the Word. 2 Timothy 1.13 Retain a standard of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And I read that and I go, has there ever been a time where it's more important than than now to retain a standard of sound words? Our world has lost its ever-loving mind. It's lost its mind. Look, I, you know, I try to stay out of politics. And you know why I try to stay out of politics? Because number one, I don't believe politics are the answer. I believe the gospel is the answer. Number two, I don't want someone's politics to keep someone from Jesus. So I'm not going to argue with you about politics, okay? I'm going to stay out of politics and let other people argue about that. I just want to talk about Jesus because my kingdom is not of this earth, okay? So that's where my heart is. That's where I am. But having said that, man, I look around this crazy world and I go, what in the world is going on? And it's really not a political statement, but it seems to me the world has literally lost its mind. Right is wrong. Up is down. Boy is girl. I mean, you just don't even know anymore. I mean, it's gotten... So ridiculous. I was watching the, the uh, Supreme Court process where they're affirming the Supreme Court candidate. And, you know, they asked her, what's a woman? And she couldn't answer the question. I'm like, okay, I'm not as smart as a Supreme Court judge for sure, but at least I know what a woman is. You know what I'm saying? It's gotten to the point where even historic, strong leftist personalities like Bill Maher who is a rapidly anti-Christian, anti-church person, he's on Fox News. What's going on? Because he's calling out some of the insanity of our time, and now he's trying to be canceled by, by some people. And, and Mars said, Let, let's get this straight. It's not me who's changed, it's the left. A large contingent has gone mental, and I'm willing to call them out. He said... They want to talk about canceling Lincoln and Dr. Seuss and making Mr. Potato Head gender neutral. I don't care who you are. That's funny. <laughs> There's already a Mrs. Potato Head. Why would he need to be gender neutral? There's never been a time where knowing the Word of God was more important. You have to think biblically. 2 Timothy 1 verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Look at this. The treasure which has been entrusted to you. And that treasure is the gospel. He said, we carry this treasure in earthen vessels. It's the gospel in us. 
And so you fill your mind with it. You fill your heart with it. And you begin to think biblically. And you have the mind of Christ. And you know what happens? Jesus said, if you're truly disciples of mine, truly as opposed to false. He's talking to a lot of people who are following him. A lot of church people. He said, if you really want to be truly my disciple, abide in my word. Set up ten in my word. Pour my word, what I'm teaching you, pour that into your heart. He said, and then you will know the truth. And what happens after that? What's the truth do? The truth will what? Set you free. Set you free. Set you free from doubt. Set you free from fear. Set you free from questioning yourself and wondering, do I have enough? It's not about you. You don't have to be enough. You've got the Word in you. And the Word's enough. I don't know, man. Maybe you're like me. You struggle sometimes. Am I ever enough? Because never, never seems to be enough. What a song for our time. Never enough. You know, people, no, nothing's ever enough. And sometimes I, I wonder if I'm enough. And I hear the Spirit of God taking this word out of 1 Timothy and pouring it into my life. Bill, you're enough. You're enough because people love you. Remember who loves you. You're enough because you love Jesus and it's sincere. You're enough because I've got a calling on your life and you're pursuing my calling. You may not always know how to do that, but your intentions are right. And you're enough because the power of the Holy Spirit is enough. And you're enough because you have the truth of the Word of God. And when you've got all that, you've got enough. And that's what you need as you move forward. But if you don't have Jesus... Enough will never be enough. In fact, everything will never be enough. So would you pray with me right now? Here's your prayer. If you're not sure, maybe you've just been trying to keep everybody happy and you're, you're just trying to keep mom and dad happy and your friends happy, and, but you know inside it's, there's something missing. Why don't you just make this your prayer? God, I give you my life right now today. I want my faith to be sincere. If you've been struggling with feelings of adequacy and maybe you wonder, are you enough? Why don't you make this a commitment? Father, I'm going to remember who loves me. I'm going to remember who I love. I'm going to pursue your purpose. I'm going to walk in the power of your spirit and I'm going to hide your word in my heart. That's my commitment to you so that you help me know I'm enough. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Unleash that power now through the power of your Holy Spirit and move in people's lives in ways that nothing else can. For those that need Jesus right now, Father, help them to give their life fully over to you through the power of your spirit, if you would. And Father, for those who are struggling with what's coming next, God, help them to make these basic commitments and hold their feet to the fire to remind them of what it takes to be enough. And we'll glorify you through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.